everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are! That's us. Woo! We're dancing, but you can't see us because we're a podcast. You can't. But it, you can't. But if you came down to our offices, then you could see us in the... The, the studio dancing the, the the law offices of classic gaming and brothers <laughs> that's right so uh yeah so episode 36 that's it yeah we had a it. fun episode last sunday with we did damien yeah we had a really good episode Dam- 35 yeah damien uh we had fun with him in the just hanging out in the studio together it was great to see him in person yeah. and uh chat with him uh, and uh, be able to talk about uh, uh, Sierra and all that. But today is not that day, and there is no more Damien on the show. He had to go home. Oh, yeah, um, we had to send him home. Yeah, he had to go home. <laughs> put it, We um, put him on a first-class Classic Gaming Brother uh, flight and shipped him back out to Classic Gaming Brother Homeland, <laughs> where Damien lives now. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't where he was going, but that's where we sent him. Nope. That's where we send all of our guests, so. <laughs> it's true. They all just live on a classic Game Brother Island out in the middle of nowhere. This is going too far. Uh, this, is getting, this is getting really weird and meta. <laughs> too meta. Okay, so, Zach, what have you been uh, recently been playing? Well, Seth, recently I've been playing Half-Life Blue Shift. So Half-Life uh, Blue Shift. Oh, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, that is a fun classic game. It is a fun classic game. Half-Life Blue Shift is a 2001 game made by Gearbox, who uh, have gone on to do bigger and better things than making expansion packs for the original Half-Life. The Blue Shift is an expansion pack slash spinoff of the original Half-Life. And uh, what's cool about Blue Shift was originally it was supposed to be part of the Dreamcast port of Half-Life. So Half-Life was originally going to be brought over to the Dreamcast, and they were included, they were going to include Blue Shift on the same disc as kind of a little uh, little treat, you know? You picked up the Dreamcast right. copy, you get Blue Shift. Right, um, and right. it was supposed to be an exclusive to the Dreamcast. Ooh. So the Dreamcast version of Half-Life was canceled, and it was canceled very late game. Pretty much the entirety of the Dreamcast version of Half-Life was finished. The Prima strategy guide was published and in stores, and the game was canceled. <laughs> and that's what that's that's what ends up sometimes like Prima because Prima gets out there pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, so if they that stuff like that happens, then uh, yeah. Now you have a nostalgic piece of history if you went out and bought that release. Though the Dreamcast that was a successful console, so incredibly successful. <laughs> Gearbox having put in a lot of work into the port and having put in a lot of work into creating the spin-off, we're given the opportunity by Valve to publish the spin-off as a as an expansion pack to the original game for the PC. So they brought over the assets to the PC and released it in 2001 on Windows. It is very short. It is an incredibly right. short game. So the original Half-Life, if you if you play it kind of straight through as a as an average runtime runs about 12 hours. If you were hustling Maybe eight, maybe nine. Blue Shift is three hours long. <laughs> it is substantially short. And that's that's the average runtime. That's not hustling. If you hustled through Blue Shift, it's like an hour and a half. <laughs> it is it is not a long game. But again, it was intended to be on the same disc as Half-Life when it came out on the Dreamcast. So they couldn't have a massive game um, without splitting the, the disc. Blue Shift does, it is kind of cool though, it takes place concurrently with the first Half-Life, it also takes place concurrently with another Gearbox expansion, uh, Opposing Force. So in Blue right. Shift you play as Barney Calhoun, who is a security guard at Black Mesa, and you go on an adventure fighting aliens for three hours, and then you leave. You get into a car and you drive away, that's the end of the game. <laughs> Barney Calhoun, for fans of Half-Life, uh, he is the person who returns in Half-Life 2, um he's disguised as a metro cop and he pulls off his mask and he says to gordon and about that beer i owe you um and then he never buys you a beer because then you have to go take down the government so he reminds me of detective mosley from gabriel knight yes yeah he he he's kind of like that kind of character yeah i think they're, they're like that that every man type character yeah he's become kind of like a i feel like he's kind of like barney calhoun is kind of like a fan favorite because He's kind of goofy in Half-Life 2, so 
I think people people like him for that regards. You know, he's always he's always offering those quips. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun game, but it's again very short. But I've been just replaying it and uh, having a good time. If you want to hear more about Half Life and Blue Shift, we we uh, talk about it in our Half Life episode, which is our episode three four. It's early. It's, it's a, one of it's the early, earlier episodes early. that we did. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a very early episode. So if you are interested in Half Life and you're like, oh, I'd like to hear the classic gaming brothers talk more about Half Life, check out an earlier episode. So I have recently been playing a, a newer game called Carrion. It was uh, published by Devolver Digital and developed by Phobia Game Studio. The game uh, released this year in uh, July or yeah, of 2020, and it is a horror game. Except it's a switcheroo on the horror game. What that is, where you play at you instead of playing as the people being attacked by the monster, you play as the monster attacking the people. It ends up being more of a puzzle game than a horror game because you have to try and figure out how to get past certain rooms and to solve certain puzzles, and you get different abilities that unlock, and you get those abilities by like. Um, destroying like there's like, these containment tanks and you like go in into them and you crawl into things and it is uh it's hilarious i love it it's so fun you it's very unique movement your so your character is like a writhing mass of tentacles and blood oh, <laughs> and mon- and monster faces yes yeah and and you can you you travel by using your tentacles and essentially just like crawling across like ceilings and walls and stuff like that and you can actually like hover and like well you can like sit and like stay out of the view of people and then like reach your tentacle over and like poof drag people in they have uh like vents that you can climb in through oh cool and everything that you see is from like a cross-section view of the building you're in so you go climb through these vents and you can like stick your tentacle out of the vent and like grab a human and drag them into right. the vent and eat them and throw out like body parts at the other people on there. It's it is relatively gory. So if you're not a fan of gore, even it's like a I like a 16-bit type style of game where it's uh I I would definitely recommend if you don't like gore, maybe avoid it, but uh if you don't have issues with gore and you want to like a fun take on a puzzle type game, uh, I recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's MSRPing right twenty bucks right now. Nice. So uh, it's yeah, and it's very much uh, in the style of a lot of Devolver games with their kind of tongue in cheek type of uh, gameplay. So yeah, that's uh, Carrion. Uh, I remember seeing it at PAX. Uh, I don't think I got a chance to play it because I think it was one of the more crowded computers that they had set up they were at pax so for today's episode we're going to be talking about uh, video games that came in cereal boxes we definitely have already talked about one game that came in a cereal box Uh, there were other games that came in cereal boxes and they some there were a number of games that were developed for the purpose of going into a cereal box. Uh, cereal boxes at one point in time was one of the main marketing tools that companies could leverage in order to get their game in front of uh, more of a, a child audience. Because the way that some of these games or some of these cereal companies would sell their product mm-hmm. is by having an enticing game in that product so that you buy that cereal. So if the child sees, like, um, for example, Chex Quest is being packaged with Chex cereal, then the child will tell their parent, who may not care about what cereal they buy, to buy Chex Quest. And thus they would influence kind of what I would refer to as, um, like, bottoms up. So it's a child influencing the adult on the purchase. And it's a, especially in the toy industry and also in the cereal box industry, like those ready to eat foods, it's a, it's a, it's a common tactic to market to children and then have the children influence the parent to buy the product. And we've been doing prizes and cereal boxes for a long time. Yeah. Um, to, to talk about that, the cereal prizes, uh, was the brainchild of W.K. Kellogg's, 
who is the founder of Kellogg's, and decided to include it uh, into the box of cornflakes, actually shortly after cornflakes came out. So cornflakes came out in 1906. In 1909, W.K. Kellogg's decided that uh, he would include a prize if you bought multiple units of cornflakes. So he included a three-panel comic called Funny Jungle Land Moving Pictures, and it had like like a tiger and like an elephant like dressed up and it was three panels because it was split horizontally mm-hmm. and you could swap the clothes as it were because you could turn like the middle of the page instead of the top and the bottom of the page right. and you could like move the different clothes around and essentially move the move the pictures which is where the moving pictures came from it was originally given away for free uh though they quickly decided to charge a dime for it and in order to get it, you would have to mail in something with the dime, I, and then they would ship you back the product. They did this for about 23 years. They gave away this comic or sold the comic for a dime. They estimate about 2.5 million copies of these books are in circulation. Huh. And they've, they've changed. So there's different versions out there where... Uh, they may be not the like the like original original version because they were in circulation for so long that they reissued different uh, versions of this comic. So so since 1909, we've been putting prizes in in or related to cereal boxes. Uh, an infamous prize that came out in the 1970s was the Bosun Whistle by Captain Crunch, and it was a it was like a tube looking whistle that had it said captain crunch on it and if you plugged you could blow through it and it made a sound that was uh, 2600 hertz for frequency which is very important because that's the frequency that you need in order to freak a phone so back when there were more pay phones and the like around we had a telephone infrastructure that was not just cell phones uh you could communicate with these phones through a series of noises that uh, telephone operators would use to like maybe like do maintenance on the telephone system or what have you Um, and the phone freakers or they were essentially hackers of the phone system knew that if they could do a series of certain whistleblows they could actually get like a long distance call for free so uh, this was one of the, this toy was capable of doing it. If you covered up the holes, except for the one hole at the end, yeah. uh, you could actually uh, freak a phone pretty easily with it. Well, I mean, you would have to know what the sequence was, but uh, with a little bit of research, you could freak a phone. And so it's a very infamous serial prize that came out in the 70s. So, Zach, do you want to give a little bit of a conversation about the very first and the kind of early serial game that came video games that came out well seth i don't have to talk too too much about the very first serial video game that came out because the classic gaming brothers did an entire episode on it episode 18 we talk about the 1996 serial box video game checks quest which was the first serial box video game released here in the united states and, and pretty much worldwide and yeah it was a it was as everyone knows, as I've talked so much abundantly about Chex Quest, um, it was a first-person shooter built on the Doom engine that was designed to sell Chex cereal. That came out in 96, and everyone wanted to jump on that Chex bandwagon, so to speak. They, they wanted to get on that bandwagon and enjoy some, enjoy some cereal money from video games. And what came next in 99 was a 2D platformer, that was created by Kellogg's called Mission Kellogg's. And outside Mission of the United Kellogg's. Mission Kellogg's. Even better, outside of the United States, it was called Mission Nutrition, which is a Mission great nutrition. It should have been called that's, Mission that's, Nutrition here. No, yeah, but we're Americans. We don't know what nutrition stands like, we, don't means. Know, we don't even know what nutrition is. <laughs> yeah. So it was included in some limited edition package of the Frosty cereal back in 1999. It was developed by a German company called the Rouser Advertainment. That's advertainment, like entertainment or advertisement, you know, the little portmanteau of, of those two words. I couldn't find a ton about Mission Kellogg, certainly not as in-depth of a history as Chex Quest has, but uh, it is a pretty interesting game. It's a 
2.5D style platformer. What I mean by that is that it's a 2D perspective. Everything's flat, but the graphics are actually 3D renders. So all of the graphics are, are um, you know, 3D models that are just put into a 2D landscape. Um, so it kind of gives the game almost a fake 3D feel to it. It is, it is a 2D game, though. The game features some classic Kellogg's mascots, such as the Diggum Frog, uh, Tony the Tiger, and the Keebler Elves. And really, in the game, you're just kind of going around doing generic platformer things. You're, you know, jumping on mushrooms, fighting finding bad guys. What I do think is interesting is Rouser Advertainment um, was a company that was founded in Germany in 1989. And some of their other titles, they don't have a ton of games under their belt. But some of the titles I was able to find were um, Energy Manager, which was published by the, uh, I'm not going to try to say the German name for it, but it's the Federal Ministry of Economic Affairs and Energy, which was a German government uh, agency. And Another game called Helicopter Mission, which was published by the Federal Defense Forces of Germany, which is their military. <laughs> so Rouser definitely was not a stranger to the world of advertisement and video games. That, that is how they got their, their start, really. So uh, that is Mission Kellogg's 1999. So in uh, 2000, we were graced with a game called Captain Crunch crunchlings adventure the game is kind of like a, a pet simulator akin to like uh maybe like the pets and cats that were coming out at the time those type of games where you're managing uh a, a little creature so it takes place in uh a vol- volcano volcanica which is the center of the earth where captain crunch actually invades to because that's where crunchium is and he needs to make Captain Crunch cereal with Crunchium. And there are thieves that are trying to steal Crunchium. So the captain breeds local Crunchlings and trains them to fight the thieves. Uh, they are trained in three aspects. Speed, jumping, and strength. Speed, you train in Backwardia, where everything is backwards. Jumping takes place in computica which is a place that's made completely of computer parts and strength takes place in jurassica where dinosaurs roam yeah so the gameplay is that of uh you taking care of these crunchlings you have to feed them three different types of captain crunch original the the red one and the other one (laughs) isn't there one with it's all just like fruit it's like yeah. captain crunch and fruit and then it's just like fruit and then captain it, crunch yeah oops all berries <laughs> oops all berries yeah oops all berries oops, yeah all so that's berries. You, you have to feed them like three different types of captain crunch to make sure that they're happy and they're also fed so these creatures live on a diet of just captain crunch Same. and then as <laughs> uh, as the crunchlings uh compete they grow up and they grow stronger and eventually, when they are fully grown, they can go head-to-head with the Crunchium Thief in a random challenge. So you may be really good at speed, but then you get challenged with strength, and that's where it, you lose. According to General Mills, they released they packaged this game uh, for free with uh, the dual packs of Captain Crunch. They put a retail value of $30 on the game. They, you could also buy the game if you just like went to their website, but I don't know if you had to spend thirty dollars to get their game. I'd hope not. But what they told what they told them like the market is that it was a thirty dollars yeah, value. Market, a valued game of thirty dollars. That game is yes. not worth thirty dollars. No, that game that game is less than an hour of game time. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess how I mean, depending on how long you want to spend with these creatures that you've abducted to fight other creatures, so that you can steal Crunchonium to make captain crunch cereal personally i think they should have done a real-time strategy (laughs) uh so this this game uh revealed where the captain had been uh during their 1990 promotion of uh 1999 promotion of where's the captain so they used to run commercial ads like where's the captain where's the captain kids would be like going around looking for him and he'd be missing uh zach i don't know if you would remember any of these promotions but i do and yeah i I kind of remember those yeah 
Yeah, they were like they would go to the school or something, and then the, the captain would be missing or something. So this is like the culmination, the climax of that marketing campaign was the Captain Crunch Crunchling Adventure. And the answer of where the captain was was in the center of the earth, mining Crunchonium to create Captain Crunch. What a scary, terrifying man. Yeah, he is. Also, fun fact about Captain's Crunch Crunching Adventure is that you can play the game in an audio CD player, which for those who are young who are listening to our podcast, uh, music used to come on CDs, and you would have to put them into these devices and put on headphones and make sure that it was very stable so the music didn't skip. Well, if you took a Captain Crunch Crunchling Adventure CD and put it into said CD player, you would instead be treated to a 20-minute audio novel of Captain Crunch narrating the story of Captain Crunch Crunchling Adventures, which I think is a two-for-one. Yeah, you know, I've been listening to the Dune audio novel. Um, honestly, I should just go and listen to the Captain Crunch audio novel because that sounds like more more worth my time. Yeah, 20 minutes versus 22 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at that. I could bang it out in, in less than an afternoon. It's great. How You could listen to the Captain Crunch story multiple times. I could. I could. So yeah, so that was uh, Captain Crunch Crunchling Adventures, and I'm just trying to see how many times I can say Captain Crunch Crunchling Adventures in this entire podcast. So uh, the next game that we have here on our list is a game called Millsbury. Or Millsbury? Millsbury. I'm going to say Millsbury. Millsbury. As opposed to like Millsbury. So Millsbury is a game created by General Mills, and it's kind of like an MMO of sorts, um, massively multiplayer online game. So I say of sorts because, again, this is a game that was made by a cereal company to advertise cereal products. But it very much, at least from what I can find out about it and what I kind of read and look at photos of, was kind of more of like a multiplayer community as opposed to just one single game. Um, Which I guess is very similar in regards to some other multiplayer communities such as uh, Neopets and Habbo Hotel and Club Penguin, which were also games that came out during the time when Millsbury came out. Um, So Millsbury came out initially in 2004 and it ran from 2004 until 2010, which I think is a ridiculously long time for a MMO based on cereal. <laughs> which yeah, uh, I'd agree. It, but the the game itself consisted of multiple shops. You could own little homes. There was arcades. You can play kind of uh, you know arcade mini games of sorts. I assume so. You can earn like in game currency. Uh, I know that's what like Neopets and such does. Um, there was also special events that players could participate in, and there were different areas where players could just kind of hang out and chat with each other. So again, it really was like a lot of those early multiplayer communities that were targeted toward kids. So uh, that is Millsbury. That's a, a riveting, uh, a it riveting. Does game. not have the same like in depth backstory as something like Captain Crunch's Crunchling Adventures, which uh, you know, there wasn't any any terrible terrible crimes being committed that I can understand going on in Millsbury. There wasn't some like vast conspiracy of Mil- who knows though. If you were a Millsbury player and you can tell us one massive conspiracy that that game was trying to cover up, please keep it to yourself. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> And then going to 2001 a great movie came out, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, which involved a... It was a cartoon made by Disney where uh, a guy by the name of Milo needs to follow the journal of his grandfather and they recruit a team and get in a large submarine and they find Atlantis. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be it would be a really depressing movie if they went through the submarine and didn't find Atlantis. I or a really good one. Oh, I mean, it is a good movie by itself. It is a good movie. It's great. I recommend the watch. I also recommend the sequel to watch. So in two thousand and one, there was a video game that came out called Atlantis: The Lost Empire: Trial by Fire, which came out on May eighteenth. The movie came out in June. The May eighteenth game was a kind of followed the story of the movie. So if you got the video game, which May comes before June, 
uh, you could get spoiled or like, or you could learn more about the movie and then watch the movie, get yeah. hyped about the movie. On May 1st, there was a game called Atlantis the Lost Empire, The Search for the Journal, which was packaged in cereal boxes uh, developed by Zombies uh, Studios, who also d- developed the sequel, which was the actual game you could buy in retail source. Uh, and it was published by Buena Vista Games, which is a uh, subsidiary of Disney. The story of uh, the Lost Atlantis, the Lost Empire, the search for the journal is about uh, Milo's grandfather, Thaddeus Thatch, who goes on adventure to find a journal. It's a first-person shooter, and it comes with six levels. The game also shows scenes from the movie as a teaser to the movie that eventually comes out into theaters on June 3rd of 2001. And then the sequel cover, follows Milo's journey and is got a 5.10 on game reviews. So there's that. So a uh, so movie tie-in prequel for a game that came out before the movie, then the movie came out. It was just a lot of like batch and blast marketing from Disney. Yeah. I, I looked up uh, Atlantis The Lost Empire, the search for the journal when we were doing some initial research into this episode. Looks okay. It doesn't look like a bad... It looks like a game that I would honestly probably download sometime soon and give it a try just for fun yeah well you you like old first person shooters i also just like weird games so (laughs) yeah and uh the last game that we have well actually no not the last game i'm sorry the (laughs) next game that we have is uh another kellogg's game it's kellogg's frosty grand prix developed in 2003 by our best buddies at ubisoft the game is very similar to monaco grand prix racing simulation 2 uh, and it features 17 racetracks but you have to collect four different discs in different cereal boxes so that you could get all the racetracks all the teams are not licensed so they just have generic numbers so personally it doesn't sound like a very good game <laughs> If you owned all four discs, you got a bonus mode where you could race with cars from the 50s. Wow. And the loadout screens had Tony the Tiger as the racer. He wasn't even in the game. <laughs> no. No, you're a car in the game. It's a racing game. Well, yeah, but you can't, like, see who's driving. No, you just see... The, it's a like it's a Grand Prix. It's like... No, you don't see Tony the Tiger. And what's great That's is the, the screenshots that I was... This is the least exciting like, <laughs> cereal box well, game I've ever I would of. be... I would be creeped out if Tony the Tiger was driving because there's like a dude in the pit stop, like a human. So like That's fine. Tony that the would... Tiger hangs out with humans. Don't you watch the commercials? Uh, in Tony the Tiger's hungry? world is just normal. Yeah, what if he gets hungry though in a pit stop? Then it's then more he than eats just a person. A pit stop. <laughs> you know? That's just that's a consequence they have to deal with. They took the that's job they... of Tony, they know the consequences. <laughs> so they gotta they gotta feed him frosted flakes to make sure he's well, that's the only thing issues. that sustains his hunger. What I like is, what I like about this game. My favorite part is that you have to get four <laughs> different discs to get the entire game. It's like you're trying to collect Dracula's bones from Castlevania. <laughs> like you have to like go around no, but, and collect all of the games. No, but picture, but picture, but you don't. But at least that all those Dracula bones are in the game. Yeah, you have I to know. buy four. You have to be, like, committed to Frosted Flakes, so you have to get f- at least a minimum of four boxes of Frosted Flakes. Oh, you know, it was probably would have been the best thing if the Frosted Flakes boxes didn't show you what... So most of the time, these disc games, like, these boxes that had discs in them would often show you what the disc looked like. Sometimes oh, it would okay. be in, like, a blister pack on the outside, I think. No, I think they should have They should have put them in the middle. They like, should have put it in the middle, so then when you bought it, you didn't know if it was one of the other discs. And sometimes yeah. you could just end up with like five discs that are exactly the same. That could no, have that, happened. That, I don't know. That would have been frustrating. It would have been hilarious. Yeah, I would have been pissed if I was a consumer. <laughs> yeah, but you... I don't know. Were you going to collect all four Kellogg's Frosted Grand Fee? I know. It's two, 2003. You're looking at buck a cereal probably. That's that's true. That's true. Uh, now it's not a dollar cereal. But, uh, no, no, no. So uh, our last game that we wanted to talk about is not a game that came I in a cereal box, but is about cereal boxes. And that game is called Crunchy. 
so this this episode has a lot of Captain Crunch themed items. Seth and just this is really wanted to say Captain Crunch again. <laughs> uh, a lot of Crunch Captain Crunch themed items. Uh, this game was developed by C and D Cardboard Games and is available on itch.io and is a horror game. You have to navigate maps trying to collect Captain Crunch cereal boxes while avoiding being captured by a very slender man looking Captain Crunch. Uh, slender man is like a, a tall, thin, gangly gangling creature that um, is part of the cryptozoological mythos isn't no. it no uh slender man is a creation of a man named victor surge uh from the something awful forms back in the early 2000s uh as part of a contest for creating a scary monster um and it became a creepypasta which is a copy paste horror story that kind of permeates throughout the internet oh, okay so he's not well, like he should Bigfoot. bigfoot's like cryptozoology zach is also a specialist in cryptozoological things so he always corrects me if i get the creature wrong which is why we we play bigfoot occasionally that is why we play it's because i'm such an expert in bigfoot lore that i can correct the game as i'm dying from bigfoot suplexing uh, me into the game. ground <laughs> game is so hard so with that that is our uh games <laughs> developed by developed for cereal boxes episode now i want to uh, see a game developed by cereal boxes <laughs> <laughs> Well, a lot of these games were published by like Kellogg's or oh, yeah. uh, General Mills. Yeah, but I I want just cereal boxes uh, developing a game, like no people yeah. involved. Just yeah, set just a bunch like, of cereal boxes just around. Throw cereal boxes at a keyboard until it creates a game. That's the game you play. No, that's not how it works. It's <laughs> um, a weird episode. <laughs> it is a weird. I mean, it's we're talking about cereal boxes. Yeah, this and, is in games distributions through that. So. Though also to know, uh, we didn't talk about them in this episode, but there were a lot of repackages of games. Uh, games even like Roller Coaster Tycoon was repacked into a, uh, a General Mills. There was uh, around 2005. General Mills ran a um, a video game co- like collection where they repacked a lot of older games into cereal boxes by them. So including Roller Coaster Tycoon. Uh, and a lot of other like Hasbro type games as well, since Holoco Tycoon was developed by Has or published by Hasbro. Um, they had also like Monopoly, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and uh, Swike Scrabble and Clue and all those. Games. I know we had we had Monopoly Junior and we had Shoots and Ladders from that specific set. Um, those are actually right. those discs are sitting at our dad's apartment on a disc spindle right now. So yeah, so there's so games occasionally sneak into cereal boxes. It's not something that you see anymore. Cereal boxes in general have really shifted away from the whole um, physical items within the box, and I'm not sure if that's a. I don't know if there was changes in the FDA regulations that prevents um, them from putting in you know toys and stuff in the cereal box. A lot of times, what cereal boxes do now is they'll have offers um that will like for example if you buy cereal and you submit enough think box top codes then you can like unlock game codes and stuff like that i think there was some cereal box that was running like an overwatch yeah there's some uh, isn't one associated with fortnite too yeah there's a bunch that are always associated with fortnite but you don't really and then see you these... get like i thought you get skins or something if you buy the box yeah yeah there's so there's and, and... there's that you don't see though these like these like dedicated games created for distribution in cereal boxes it'll anymore, sh- though. it's honestly also just overall cheaper to get like some codes for a popular billion dollar game tag that same audience without having the development cost and the creation oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. they're not going to make a dvd or a cd because that's you know you gotta go and actually you know create the cd or create well it would be a dvd now but you have to go and get that printed and then yeah, sleeve yeah. it and it's a lot True. of manufacturing costs that go along with the development cost of the game where now they can just go hey Fortnite, can we license some skins or something that we can sell with our whatever cereal that Fortnite's associated with? So I think that's kind of like where, as video games has crossed over into the digital medium, 
and is has as is really leaving the physical medium behind. Mm. Uh, I feel like the people who market with video games are doing the same type of crossover as well. Yeah, I which, think so too. I mean, but we did have a heyday of it where there was a, a lot of them came out. So these were some interesting games. Most of them were are are I would say um, probably on the bad side of games um, in regards yeah. to uh, quality. But then again, they are essentially just pure marketing video games right they're just games designed around selling you a product so you do their the, their story that they're trying to tell you is to drink more ovaltine <laughs> and with that in mind let's we'll move on to uh is it really that bad segment so uh zach so seth my is it really that bad for today is the game homefront the revolution it's a 2016 first-person shooter developed by Damn Buster Studios and published by Deep Silver. Uh, for those who don't know, Deep Silver has uh, published a ton of games. Uh, primarily, they've published the Risen games, R-I-S-E-N. Um, they published Wasteland 2. Uh, they did the Dead Island games. Um, I think they also published, or at least they, yeah, they published also the uh, later Saints Row games. So Saints Row 4 and then Saints Row get out of hell now homefront the revolution is a, a game that takes place in an alternative timeline where north korea has taken over pretty much the entire united states the the, the in the timeline in particular north korea kind of had a digital boom in the early 70s um, and they became a capitalist nation and that allowed them to gain more world power um, thus allowing them to invade the United States. Um, so the game is open world. You primarily go around to different districts in uh, the city of Philadelphia and you recapture them. It's an expansive world. It's fun to explore. That's all I got for it. Uh, <laughs> other than that, it's one of the most boring games I ever put my time into. So the rest of the game is... It's just a slog of a game. It is like, yeah, it's cool to explore... But it's just going from point A to point B in a decent looking first person world, but just going through the exact same points over and over again when fighting enemies. The The voice acting is terrible in the game. The The characters are not memorable in the slight. Like, I don't even remember the main character's name. He was I, I could have looked it up. And I didn't like I didn't even like make note of it when I was writing down the plot. I just and I don't remember anything else really. I just remember like some very small parts of it. And I played nine hours of this game, and I don't remember much about it. <laughs> that's the that's a problem. If I played nine hours of a game, I should remember something of quality. And there just isn't anything of quality. The only reason I put so much time into it is because it kind of felt like a chore to me. After I put in about three or four hours, I realized I wasn't having a good time, but I felt like I was getting far enough oh, into the game. Um, lost, uh, it's the uh, lost cost fallacy or sunk cost fallacy, sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you've, you spend you spend already this much on it. You should probably just see, see it to conclusion or exactly. something. Exactly. So I put in a yeah. few more hours expecting I would get somewhere farther and potentially like, you know, get a ending or like maybe I'll just get through the main storyline. I didn't even get there. There was still so much more to the game. And I just ended up forgetting about it because it was just such a boring, boring game. <laughs> Did it have anything to do with the show? I don't know. I don't think so. It is um it is a kind of a reboot sequel to a 2011 game also called Homefront. I have not played that Homefront, though I looked at the reviews and they're about the same as Homefront the Revolution. Uh, so this game currently averages at about a 50 or so on Metacritic, and I can see why. And most of the reviews I've seen are in the exact same boat I'm in. Everyone says it's a boring game with boring characters and a boring plot that has a very interesting set pieces. <laughs> Another problem with the game I found was I just wasn't that invested in the storyline. I think the idea of like living in a uh, version of America that has been taken over by this like other nation is kind of interesting. I know some games and some pieces of fiction have done it really well. I don't think Homefront does it very well. I definitely don't recommend it. Uh, even if you're into like post-apocalyptic or or like alternate timeline games, I definitely would stay away from this one. There are certainly way better games that have alternative timelines that are open world and fun to play 
like the Fallout games. <laughs> so uh, I, I would highly recommend staying away from Homefront the Revolution. Uh, so my Is It Really That Bad is is going to be on a theme from... With my, it was my oh my first is it that is it really that bad and now my second is it really that bad um, about the same intellectual property but two different uh, time periods so this is going to be about XCOM again so this is about XCOM Enforcer so now XCOM Enforcer uh, came out in uh, 2001 and was uh, developed by Microprose it was the last game that got put out before the property sat dormant for a number of years and Firaxis put out their new very popular XCOM game. So XCOM Enforcer uh, has mixed reviews on Steam and uh, 65 on the Metacritic is a game that takes place in the XCOM world where you play as a robot and you are this robot that was created by a scientist who is a little kooky and had his funding taken away from him by the people in XCOM that give funding to XCOM initiatives. So if you're not familiar with the XCOM universe, the different countries give money to this shadowy, well, give money to XCOM. So the scientist was getting money from those people and they stopped giving him money. So he went off by himself and created his own robot. And it was a Enforcer series, which is who you play as. The game is a, a strictly action game and a very much a departure from the previous XCOM games. You played in third person and part of the thing that really just bugs me about the game is that the camera angle is fixed, tilted downwards. So you're, you're always third person, so you're behind your character so you can see your character. But you're, the, the camera angle is just tilted a little up and down. So you're looking pretty much at the ground in front of your character. And you cannot move it. So you are <laughs> fixed following that your character around at this very particular angle. That's just irritating. It's just like really obnoxious to play at this angle. Uh, the game takes about... Uh, about four to five hours to play through the entire game where you spend your time blasting aliens and picking up power-ups. It's a uh, very kind of like the second stage of polygonal graphics. It's just like maybe a couple of steps up from where Virtual Cop is, but also a little smoother graphics, but still not very dated graphics now if you'd go back and play it. Obviously, the game's 19 years old, so it's going to be <laughs> a little dated. I think it's also based on the, the based on the system that's used for the graphics. Um, very difficult to get to work on a modern computer system. Um, I've I had a lot of issues getting it to work. There, you have to like do certain fixes to even get it to work appropriately. So I think if we were in 2001, the game. If you had no knowledge of XCOM and bought this game to blast aliens, pick up power-ups, I think you would be okay with it. I don't think you would be super disappointed with it. I think you would say, okay, it's what I got. If you had played any of the other XCOM games, you would not like this game. It It is really a disservice to the XCOM franchise. And at this point in time... It is Microprose putting the XCOM label on another game just to get that XCOM bump because XCOM was such a successful series of games. So this game, its predecessor Interceptor, were very much departures from the traditional XCOM style of gameplay. And at least Interceptor tried to do something new and still be similar, but uh, Enforcer was just, uh, it was just bad. So is it really that bad? Yeah. It is. Uh, there are definitely better games out there that you could spend your money on. Uh, if you're looking for an action game, uh, I would recommend a any any <laughs> other game. Google action game. And there you go. There's a better yeah. game than XCOM Enforcer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would depend on what your, your computer can run. But, like, if you want to play, like, a game where you're just blowing stuff up and killing aliens uh you can play i just cause is a 
great game. You're not killing aliens in Just Cause, but... The question, though, Seth, you've so far talked about two XCOM games for the Is It Really That Bad? Which one is worse? Uh, oh, between the Bureau and Enforcer? Yeah. Whew, Enforcer. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That's I think that, yeah, I think that the bureau actually tried, and and was a. I think the bureau not only did it actually try. I think the bureau was more of a failing of development. I think Enforcer was just a, really just a, a move that they were just trying to get some brand extension and brand like Halo effect, yeah. instead of. Uh, like at least and and to be honest like the bureau changed its name like it is not really an XCOM game it's bureau, the bureau XCOM declassified like right. it's they brought XCOM out of the main headline and put it in the tagline and so it really kind of gets uh, kind of almost erased in the XCOM like if you look at XCOM games you're going to see the original XCOMs you're going to see uh the new XCOMs and you're going to see in between those XCOM Enforcer, a proud game that is garbage. <laughs> it's proud. To you be probably like it though. You'd you'd like Enforcer, I think. I'll play Enforcer sometime. Um, I want to play the weird XCOM games. I want to play Enforcer and I want to play Interceptor. Uh, so that's going to be our Serial Box podcast. There, uh, <laughs> our episode all about cereal and cereal boxes. Crafting uh, crunches. I hope- Classic brothers. Crunch, the crap crunches, crap brothers. I don't can't even say it six times fast. I hope that you walk away from this episode knowing more about cereal than you did walking in. With that, uh, Zach, how would um, people go about in supporting us, contacting us, and listening to us? You know, there are plenty of ways that people can go about listening to us, contacting us, and supporting us. So if you want to listen to us, uh, the good news is is we are available on pretty much every podcasting app out there. In fact, if there's a podcasting app out there that we are not on, it is our duty to get on that app. However, we need your help. If there's a podcasting app that you like to use and it is one that we are not on, let us know. We'll try our hardest to get on it just for you. That is a classic gaming promise. But yeah, we're available on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, the works. Name name a name a podcast application. We're on it. That's some ways you can listen to us. You can also check us out on YouTube. We have um, uh, most of our episodes are uploaded onto YouTube. Uh, we also have our Twitch streams uploaded onto YouTube. We do have a Twitch. It's Classic Gaming Brothers on Twitch. And on my view, if you want to watch what I'm doing, it's VS Classic Gaming Brothers. Uh, yeah, we stream occasionally. We have absolutely a no schedule that we keep to. Um, the most schedule we have is we release episodes every Sunday of this podcast. So let's see. If you want to contact us, there's plenty of ways you can do that as well. So what I would recommend is that you open up an email client and you type in that two fields, classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. That will send an email directly to our inbox and Seth will read it and respond to it. And eventually he'll probably tell me that he did so. So that's one way that you can reach out to us. You can also go to our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com, and you can fill out our contact form so that you can uh, do exactly the same process because that's exactly where the contact form goes. It goes right into our inbox and Seth will respond to you. <laughs> so those are those are two ways you can contact us. If you want to reach out to us through social media, we'd highly appreciate it. We have a Facebook. We have an Instagram. We have a Twitter. Our Facebook is Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Instagram is Classic Gaming Brothers. And our Twitter it's CG Brothers Pod. So reach out to us through any method that you feel comfortable in doing so. Remember that if you do reach out to us, you'll be entered into our drawing that we haven't done in a while. Um, but I'm oh, reminding yeah. Seth that we have we That's do right. we do drawings. We do drawings on occasion. So if, um, uh, yeah, so be sure to send us an email so you can have the opportunity to be entered into a drawing. Uh, let's see what else. If you want to support us, sending us an email is a great way to support us because that lets us know that you are listening and you are enjoying our content or you have some critical response to our content. If Seth is too loud, if I'm too loud, if you don't like the way the audio sounds in one episode, please let us know. The only way we're going to be able to improve is by you telling us that we need to improve another way that you can support us is you could tell three friends so seth has a saying i've adopted the saying 
if you like something, you tell three friends. If you don't like something, you tell way more. And I think that saying is perfect for Classic Gaming Brothers. Make sure to tell three friends of this podcast if you enjoy it. Like it, subscribe to it, ring the bells, do everything you can to enjoy the Classic Gaming Brothers content that you love every week on Sundays. Uh, you can also buy our merch if you want. We do have merch. We try. We, we promote it every episode, but it's really not an obligation that we, like, we don't expect anyone to buy it. Uh, we, we just have it because we've had some fans reach out to us who were interested in having merch. So we, we put some merch on our website. Um, so yeah, take a look on our website. If there's a t-shirt or something you'd like, or you'd like your, our faces on a mug, have at it. So yeah, that is, um, all the ways that you can reach out to us, all the ways you can listen to us and all the ways you can support us. So with all that said and all that said and done, Seth, is there anything else uh, is going through your head right at this moment as i am speaking to you at this time is there anything don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth and we have been the classic gaming brothers that's right. that's right i would really we should just, we should sing the captain crunch crunching adventure song but uh i don't know how it goes I don't know how it goes either. I just know Captain Crunch's voice was like, whoa, like he sounded like well, Rodney Dangerfield. Because he's a he's a conquering conquistador who's <laughs> coming to imprison these creatures. That's true. To, to mine Crunchium, which uh, just sounds like a mineral. I would I would talk about the weird history of cornflakes, but that's for uh, classic gaming brothers after dark. <laughs>